turning then to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. The word tells us in verse 42 that these people who had heard gladly the word preached by Peter, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Again, if you've not been with us over the last few weeks, this will be kind of being thrown into the middle of kind of where we've been with this. Uh, but the, the sermons, by God's grace, hopefully shortly will be available on YouTube if you want to go back and view the ones that we've gone through previously. But here we are going on to this issue of the four pillars of the New Testament church, which Margaret, our dear sister, asked me if we would go through. So we had to have the context involved with that, and now we are just now approaching these four doctrines, these four pillars of the Christian church, which is the Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, Breaking Bread, and Prayer. And so firstly we want to deal with the Apostles' Doctrine. And this is what they continued in, these people continued, we went through that last time I believe, that these people didn't only kind of mouth their faith, they actually began to live the Christian life. They were transformed and they continued on in it by God's grace and by his hand. They continued in this Christian faith. So it says here, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is the doctrine of the apostles? What is it? Well, it is the teaching of the apostles. That's what, that's what doctrine means. It means teaching. So we, they continued in the teaching of the apostles. So we, they, they continued steadfastly. They were close by. They were in fellowship with them. In the book called the Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament, it gives us a bit of information about this word, doctrine. It gives us a bit of Greek, so just bear with me as I read this. The New Testament employs two terms for teaching. One is called didash, the other is called didaskalia. Generally speaking, didash means the substance of teaching, and didaskalia, the act of teaching. In the King James Version, this distinction is not made so apparent, since both didash and didaskalia are usually rendered doctrine. Both of them rendered the same. Both didash and didaskalia are used in the active and passive senses. For example, the act of teaching and what is taught. That's the difference, basically. So you've got the act of teaching and then you've got what it contains. So you could say, here I'm standing delivering something as a physical act of teaching, but then we've also got the content of what's being delivered. That's the differences between the two. So the passive is predominant in Didash, which always means the act and content of Christian instruction. Now this is the important bit. It also stresses the authority of the teacher, this word Didash. Not only is it about the content and the act of the teaching, but it also stresses the authority of the one doing the teaching. And the latter did ask me, stresses the act of teaching and literally means 
that which belongs to the teacher. It's important to note then that this word used here in Acts 2 verse 42 is the word didash, which is the act and the content and the authority of the one teaching. Not only gives the emphasis of that act, but it stresses the authority of the one teaching. It's vitally important that we realise that. In Acts 4.13, Peter and John, they stood before the council of the rulers and priests after being arrested for healing the man at the beautiful gate and preaching salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what we read. Now when they, which is the Pharisees, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marvelled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. These were fishermen, common men from Galilee. Not trained in the rabbinical schools like the Pharisees. That's why when you read the scriptures, these Pharisees quite often said to them and Jesus, who gives you authority to do these things? Why do you do these things? From, from where do you get your authority? Because they haven't, been, they haven't passed in the uh, rabbinical schools. They may have gone through it, but they failed. These were just uneducated men. They had not learned at the feet of such people as Gamaliel like Paul had, but they were termed ignorant. It was clear that they weren't learned <coughs> ignorant men. They were from Galilee, men who were just commoners. And the context tells us that the council perceived this, and they marvelled. They were shocked. They were greatly astounded at the men and their teaching and the eloquence and the power for, of their delivery. And it says that they took knowledge of them. Not only was it their eloquence or their delivery or how they spoke and the fact that these men had come from a place that was known to be full of common fishermen and all sorts of, of low standard uh, careers, if you like. But it says that they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. That's the major issue. So what then about Jesus and his teaching? If they'd been with Jesus and they'd got their teaching from him, what about his teaching? What was said about Jesus and his teaching? Matthew 7 gives us some answers in 28 and verses 29. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which starts in Matthew chapter 5. It says, It came to pass, when Jesus has ended these sayings, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Again, the same word, didash. Not only denoting what he was teaching, the fact that he was teaching, but the authority of the teacher, Jesus Christ himself. They were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his doctrine. And it says this, For he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. See, the scribes were very well versed in the scriptures. And these were those that were used to write them, copy them, pass them on. 
And so they knew the word. But you see the vital difference here. That Jesus Christ was seen and heard and been uh, noticed by everybody that he preached to. That he had some, some power, some authority that the scribes didn't have. They knew the word. But Jesus had just something else as he taught them. They saw and realised that they had some kind of authority that the scribes didn't have. This doctrine, this teaching, the didash of the apostles, was the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, of whom the Jews had said similar things, and who said that his doctrine came from the Father. Jesus' doctrine was from the Father. So the Apostles' doctrine came from Christ, and Christ's doctrine came from God the Father. This is the authority. John 7 tells us in verses 14 through 16, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters? How does he know the letters? He's not been through the schools. How does he know such things? He, and it says here, not knowing the letters, having never learned. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had not been through the Pharisaical schools, the rabbinical schools. He hadn't learned them. Not in that way. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. Came from God the Father. That's why we know the Word of God is God-breathed. It's His Word. It's His doctrine. It's His truth. Now there are some people that I've had conversations with in the past who have a real issue with Paul, the Apostle. They call themselves Christians, but they have a real hang-up about Paul and his doctrine. There are certain things in it that Peter himself refers to as being hard to understand. As, but he said that people twist them as they do the other scriptures. And we've also got a number of, uh, maybe what you might term people in the feminist camp, who don't like what Paul has to say about what God's view was, or God's teaching was, or God's direction or commandment was, with regards to the church and women in the church. And the roles that they play or don't play. And the roles that men play and don't play. So they have this real disagreement with his doctrine. But the truth is, that if that is an issue, if you disagree with Paul's doctrine, you disagree with Jesus Christ and God himself. Because his doctrine is God's doctrine. The doctrine of Paul the Apostle is the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's doctrine is that which was given him by his Father. So we, if we have an issue with anything in the Scriptures, then we're the problem. We're the problem. Not the Scriptures and not God. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, 
even to the end of the world. Jesus commanded the apostles to teach what? This is in Matthew 28. This is just about the time where he is about to ascend back to, to his father. He's instructing the apostles what they must do. And he says to them, go and teach all nations. But what does he teach them to teach them? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus commanded the apostles to teach his commandments. Not the commandments of men. Not opinion. Not what I think. Not what I deduce. But his commandments. His doctrine. His teaching. And that is what we are supposed to do. Continue to do. From then right up until the end. And Paul again then tells us from where he acquired his doctrine. Where did he get his truth from? Where does he get the teaching from that he delivered? And we know that Paul was an apostle. And he was given direct revelation from God himself. He was picked out, chosen before the foundation of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Knocked him down and blinded him appeared to him, basically calls out, Lord, what will you have me do? What will you have me do? And then when you look further on into Acts, it tells you that he was always going to be the instrument of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He is my chosen instrument, Jesus said to Ananias. So Paul tells us in Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12, and context there would be 6 to 12. It says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul got his doctrine from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's why he was an apostle. He was a witness to his resurrection. He was handpicked and chosen and caught directly by him. And he was taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually works also in you that believe. You see, this preaching of the apostles, this doctrine of the apostles, it was seen not as word of men, not something that they had made up, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And I say this, that when we preach from this word, that it is the word of God. When you preach opinions. When you preach what you think. That's not the word of God. The word of God is contained in 66 books. From Genesis to Revelation. Nothing outside of it. Nothing added to. Nothing taken away. This is the word of God. 
contained, uh, should, I should say really that this is a translation of the Word of God. The Word of God in its direct form is in its original language, which would be Hebrew, Greek, with a little bit of, bit of Aramaic in there. It's the Word of God. So the apostles were given understanding and divine revelation. Notice I say the apostles were given it. We don't receive divine revelation in this generation. This was given to the apostles at the birth of the New Testament church. As it was being set forth across the nations. No longer just for the Jews. No longer just for Israel. But now it was for all tribes, all tongues, all nations. And they were given these uh, divine revelations that they may teach and that they may write the scriptures on which we rely, on which we trust. <coughs> so they were given divine revelation firstly by Christ in Luke 24, 45. Again, very, very um, soon to be taken up to heaven. Before he left them, he said, Then he opened their minds, their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Took this blockage away. This lack of understanding. He mentioned to them a few different times. You don't yet understand, but you will. And so he opened up their minds. That he might understand the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 11, which is often read here, in regards to the breaking of bread. For Paul himself says, I received of the Lord that which I also deliver to you. He received it by divine revelation from Christ himself and he delivered it to the Corinthian church and to all the churches. The apostles were given divine understanding and revelation also by the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verses 13 through 15, we read these words. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth. This is first and foremost the context speaking to the apostles. He will lead you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, said I, he shall take of mine and shall show it to you. The Holy Spirit was given to the apostles, given them divine revelation, opening their minds to understand the scriptures, giving them that ability to both speak and write the un, um, inerrant word of God. There is nothing erroneous about any of the words that the apostles wrote. Everything that's recorded is absolutely pure. As Phil referred to in his snippet this morning, the holy, pure word. That's what it is. So this doctrine, this teaching of the apostles, of Christ... Of God himself. This doctrine friends. Is to be our way of life. 
How does God speak to us? Such a tremendous question in this day and age. How does God speak to us? You sit on a mountain and hear a voice in your ears. You've got that still small voice that echoes inside of you. People often use these verses out of context. People talk about the still small voice that was given to Elijah. But there was a whole context about that. God rips something out of a, a context that is a description. And use it for something as a practical thing for us to do. The word of God, friends, is how God speaks to us. We've got it on the board outside. We've got it on the website. We've got it probably on that board up there. Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura. This is our guide. <coughs> anything outside of it. Anything that we, 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 we talked about it on Friday night. Scripture. It's not Scripture and something else. Not Scripture and how God speaks to me. Not Scripture and my dream. Not Scripture and my vision. Not Scripture and the audible voice I think I heard somewhere. It's scripture. Yeah. This is the standard. This is where we know God. This is where we hear Him. I think it was Justin Peters and others that said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the scriptures. If you want to hear the audible voice of God, read them out loud. Too many people who are trying to uh, go after Things that are extra biblical. And they try to convince us that God's speaking to them revelatory. By revelation. That was given to the apostles so that they may plant um, the New Testament church and preach the gospel and write the scriptures so that we can have these to be our guide. God has given us everything, Peter says, to lead this life of godliness. So this is to be our way of life. It says in the context that we read in Acts 2, 37-47, that they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. We, we are... As it says in Ephesians 2, 19-22, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. As Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And where do we find the apostles' foundation? As Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. We find the doctrine here. This is the apostles' doctrine. We uh, warned and, and, and encouraged, should I say, or exhorted... In 2 Timothy 2.15, to show ourselves workmen, 
which tells us to study, to show ourselves approved by God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. These are vital, vital words. Don't just think you know something about the Bible and start to talk about a doctrine that you don't know nothing about. We need to show ourselves work, and we need to work, we need to read, we need to pray, we need to ask God to show us. We need to listen to men who have been proved through history to be gifts of God to the church. don't want to be ashamed. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. Which means we don't just pull out one scripture and say, well, this is what this means. And I can prove to you that God speaks to me audibly. Because of this particular scripture. But there's no context added. It's absolutely vital that we delve into the scriptures in their context. Historical context, the application to those to whom it was written, first and foremost. So when somebody comes and speaks to you about the still small voice, do they speak to you about Elijah? Do they say that it was actually given to, uh, to him, it was something that God was speaking to him about, to prove to him that not everything is about supernatural, uh, supernatural things happening all the time. It was the fact that God works in the, in the silent time. In the quietness. They're, they're a descriptive text and they're a prescriptive text. We need to be those workmen, friends, who rightly divide the word of truth. In this third chapter of Timothy, Paul speaks to him of perilous times in the last days. Men will be lovers of themselves. We term narcissism. I was watching something yesterday about how many people have died because they were obsessed with trying to take selfies in dangerous places. Tops of buildings, bridges, Niagara Falls, all such places like this. They're trying to take selfies of themselves, obviously. And they fall into their death. Narcissism. There's a narcissistic problem in this generation. Selfish. Self, self, self. Men will be lovers of themselves, it says in the last days. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truth breakers. False accusers. Lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. <coughs> I want you to note that. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. These are those who appear to be believers. They've got some form of religion. Holding a form of godliness, <coughs> as did the Pharisees, as did the scribes, as did the false prophets and the false teachers. The false Christians. These are people who have not continued in the doctrine of the apostles. Again we read in Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 
But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But then Paul says to Timothy, that you, 2 Timothy 3.10, he said, you, you Timothy, have fully known my doctrine. And he warns him that these evil men and seducers will grow from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But then Paul says again in verse 14, continue, he speaks to Timothy, continue then in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's known the scriptures from his childhood. Does that not tell us how important the Bible is? In our Christian lives. How can we be those people that can see or, or discern error if we don't know the Bible? If we don't know the truth, what he's talking about. And knowing those whom he's learned it from. There's something about being in relationship with people who you trust to teach you the truth. Yeah. Knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He urges him again, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, Paul says to Timothy, if you teach your church these things, if you put them in remembrance of these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Whereunto you have attained. Teach them. Show them. Read them. Live in them. Eat them. Drink them. Sleep them. Good doctrine. Let no one despise your youth, Paul says to Timothy. But be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then Paul says this, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. If Paul, the apostle, is telling this to Timothy, and it is recorded in Scripture for all posterity. This is not going to be just as important for us. First context, of course, is to Timothy. But he's saying to us, give attendance to reading. Listen, I know people. Amongst us, there are, there are those of us that say, well, I'm not really a very good reader. Do you think God then puts a bracket there and says, well, except for you then? People struggle with reading. People have dyslexia, people have problems, people have attention span issues. People might not even be able to read very well. 
And all those are credible issues that need to be worked through. But that's the key. They need to be worked through. Paul says, give attendance to reading. Not accept anybody, but give, give attendance to reading. It needs to be getting into our minds and our hearts. It is a fight for some people. But why not fight? Why not fight if you can't read very well? Why not, why not pray? Do you think God can't change you? Do you think God can't help you in that issue? All I'm saying is, I understand that we can't use these things as excuses. Can't be excused when we stand before Christ and he said, how much attention did you give to reading my word? Well, I wasn't really a very good reader. Look, Jesus Christ himself, by the power of his spirit, can get past any barrier. To read him, to understand him. I, I've spoken to people as well, so I just, I just don't understand it. What do you think I do? That's why he says, be a workman. That's why he talks about digging and finding that pearl. That in here are rich treasures. You don't find treasures just lying on top of the ground, do you? No, you have to dig for them, you have to hunt for them, you have to find them. And when you do, you get up out of that hole and you're filthy and you're scratched and you're aching all over. But there you've got this treasure in your hand and the whole thing was worth it. Yeah. You have to do that, friends. So he says, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Don't let, neglect the gift that's in you, which is in you by prophecy with the laying on of my hands. Meditate upon these things. Think about them. Ponder on them. Ask the Lord to show you. Think about what it's saying. Ask questions. Give yourself wholly to them. That your profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this you will save both yourself and them that hear you. Now there are people in the Bible who continuously or constantly refer to Scripture. We've got Daniel, for instance, in Daniel 10.21. As an angel was speaking to Daniel, he says, But I will show you that which is noted in the Scripture of Truth. Jesus says in Mark 12.10, Have you not read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head. And again in Luke 4.21, he began to say unto them, This day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. To the devil at the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus replied to him three times, It is written, it is written, it is written. The disciples... In John 2, 22, it says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Acts 8, 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached to him Jesus, speaking <coughs> of the Ethiopian eunuch. What about Paul? Paul in Romans 4, 3 says, For what says the scripture? Asking the question, talking about Abraham, 
Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. That's what the scripture says. That's what Paul's saying. We go back to scripture. We go back constantly. James 2.8 If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, you do well. So all these people are just constantly referring to scripture. Always scripture. Scripture alone. We always come back to the doctrine of Christ, the apostles God the Father himself. But we must steadfastly continue the same. It wasn't only written for these. It was written for our sakes too. That we must continue steadfastly in sound biblical doctrine. It's absolutely vital for your health as a Christian. And it won't allow you then to wander off into myths and fables and legends. And genealogies, endless genealogies Paul speaks to Timothy about. Don't get carried away by every wind of doctrine. Timothy tells us, Paul tells us through Timothy, in his letter to Timothy, that scripture is inspired by God, that it is God-breathed, that it is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? That he may be perfect. Not perfect without sin, but made whole. It will be whole. Furnished unto all good works thoroughly. Don't need anything else. Don't need pretended revelations. The revelations are here. <clears throat> Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sadducees rather, when, asked, when they asked him or tried to trick him into the question about whose wife will this person be after having all the sons? And Jesus said to them, you, you err, you, you're in error. Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That's how we fall into error, friends, because we don't know the scriptures. So if we're found to be people who are never in this Bible, you can't tell me that you know the doctrine of God. If we're never in the scriptures, and we say <coughs> we're a Christian, Oil and water. Doesn't mix very well. Paul again tells Titus to hold fast the word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Whoever sins or whoever transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ has both this Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. 2 John 9 and 10. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God does not hear us. Hereby we know this spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We know God through his word. By the power of the spirit. Even if we are constant in prayer that we lack in the word of God 
How can we know who we're praying to? How will we be protected from falling into error? We must let the word of God then dwell in us richly as it tells us in Colossians 3.16. Lastly, Deuteronomy 32.1-3 Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe you greatness unto our God. Friends, the Apostles' doctrine is not only the Apostles' doctrine, it's Christ's doctrine. It's not only Christ's doctrine, it is the Father's doctrine. And this is the doctrine that we must adhere to. Sound, biblical doctrine. It's the only way that we will know God. It's the only way we will be able to discern what's right, what's wrong. Because there's a lot of rubbish in this world, in the Christian world. And there's too many people who get swept away. I was one of them. Why, why did I get swept away? Why did I believe the things I believe? Because I was hardly ever in this. Because I wanted the experiences and the supernatural. I wanted to be used of God, but I didn't want to do the digging to find out what was true and what was false. So please, if you're a believer this morning, don't neglect the scriptures. Read them, pray them, ponder on them, think about them, read other good, solid people on them, speak to people in your church who you know are faithful Bible believers, ask questions, get answers. Allow people to lead you to people who are good for your soul. Further, first and foremost, this is how God speaks to us. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that contained in this word that you have so mercifully given to us, so kindly given to us, Lord, is all we need for life and godliness. How do we know about Christ? How do we know about his life, who he is? How do we know everything, anything we know about God? How do we know about the history of, of godliness? Through the word of God. So Lord, I want to ask you this morning, would you give us a hunger for it? Would you cause us to be at heart or the deer that pants after the water brooks of your word? Will you cause us to have that spiritual tongue that just desires and needs to lap up the spiritual water to drink of the fountain of everlasting truth or will you cause us to want to know the apostles doctrine the Christ doctrine the father's doctrine and may it be father as it was said of the apostles that through it you lead us into all truth. 
Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.